Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. It's been awesome being a part of our countercultural series. If this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, we're just super glad you're here. But we've been in a series called Countercultural, uh, talking about uh, this guy named Daniel and how he went against the grain. He was set apart. He was, he was that one guy that swam upstream while everybody else was swimming downstream. And how it's really easy to be cultural. Right? It's really easy to blend in because when you have to swim upstream, when you have to go against the grain, when you have to be set apart, it can be really hard. It can be really challenging. You can, again, get slammed by somebody. You can be discredited. You can have people attack you like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? But yet Daniel and all these ways that we've been talking about the past few weeks just didn't care. He was just content being who he was and he was countercultural. So like, what would possess somebody to be counterculture? What would possess somebody to go above and beyond to stand out? Where would you find the strength to do that? What, like, what possesses someone to be that countercultural? And what I think is so cool is Becca and I did not talk about what I was sharing today, but in some miraculous way that is not so coincidental— our worship set, what she said, was exactly what was on my heart. And God is just speaking, obviously, I think, to our church about how to be countercultural, how to be like Daniel and be set apart. Now, as I was thinking about all that, I was reminded of a fairy tale about a man and his teenage son. For those in the room who maybe have teenage boys or have been down that road, you know there's this, there's this integral part of their journey where they need to transition from a boy to a man, right? And as all men would assume, like, it's not just a conversation. It's like, let's go to the woods, all right? So this dad grabs his son and goes, all right, buster, we're going to make you a man, okay? So he, 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 he does what every man would do. He goes, okay, I need to grab a knife. I need to grab um, a lighter. I need to grab some firewood. I need to grab my son, and we're going to the woods. So they go to the woods, uh, they set up camp. I guess you could probably say he has a tent, I don't know. It's, just, it's a very old story. They're, they're, I think they're cavemen or something. Um, they go to the woods, and he goes, all right, this is about making you a man. This is about you coming into who you are, all right? So here's what's going to happen. I'm dropping you off here on Friday, all right? You have a knife, you have wood, you have a lighter, I need you to survive until the next week, all right? And then I'll, I'll come bring you some more wood and, and we'll see how you're doing the next week. So some of you guys are like, yeah, that would never happen. My, sin, my son would die, okay? <laughs> my son wouldn't make it through the night. So he drops him off. And the boy is sitting there on Friday night and, you know, he has his fire and I can imagine he's got some kind of food and he's sitting there and Friday goes off. He's like, all right, I can do this. And then Saturday comes, same thing. Life is going well. Sunday keeps going Monday, he's starting to kind of freak out a little bit because he's going, my dad's not going to be here until Friday, but my supply of firewood is kind of dwindling a little bit. I know my dad said he would bring me more wood, but I'm, I'm, I'm not really seeing that. Like my, my pile is going down a little bit. So I, you know what? You know what? I am going to cut down more wood. 
All right, so I'm going to go into the woods. I can imagine his dad probably supplied him with a hatchet at least. So he goes to the woods and he starts hacking, hacking wood. Yep, that's all good. Brings a big stack of it over to his fire. He's like, ah, now I can breathe. So he sits down, goes to sleep that night, and then he wakes up the next day. And then he's sitting there with his big pile of wood. He's like, you know what? Like, I'm worried that if it gets rainy, if it gets really windy in here, like, my fire might blow out. And I got to keep it going because... My lighter is not going to last forever. So I got to make sure that my fire is protected. So he goes, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I got, I, got my, my, I got my pile of wood. I got my fire. My fire's going. I am going to build a shelter around my, my fire so that it can be protected from the wind. And so he builds this shelter and then he gets all done. He sits back and goes, yeah, the shelter's good. And then he goes, crap, I'm out of wood again. So then he has to go down to the woods and cut more wood and... He's, 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 you know, hacking away. He gets back. He's, he goes to bed that night, wakes up in the morning. And because his shelter is built out of wood, what happens when you build a shelter around a fire that's built out of wood? Starts on fire. This, this, this is starting to sound a lot like teenage boys, okay? Like, like the, the hamster wheel's going, but it's not quite going at full speed, okay? I can say that. I'm a teenage boy. So he sits down that night, or he wakes up that morning... He's freaking out again. And so he goes down, and now he's got to chop extra wood because he's got to have extra wood to make sure the fire doesn't go out. He's got to have extra, extra wood to make sure he can build a new shelter every single day so that he can, you know, do that. And so his dad comes, he, his dad comes on Friday, and the kid's like this. Hey, Dad. Like, just, just absolutely beat out of his mind. And his dad's like, oh, how's it going? He goes, going good, right? It's going good. Inside, he's thinking, no, this is not going good at all. But he's becoming a man, all right? So his dad drops off another pile of wood. So now the boy is, 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 is tired, but now we know he's got to build a shelter. He's got to have extra wood. And as all of that's happening, he's going, oh, wait, what happens if my tent goes down? What happens if I have no shelter and, it, and it's lightning out? What if I get electrocuted by lightning? So now he's got to go down to the woods at 6 a.m., chop enough wood so he can have extra in case the fire goes out. He's got to go down to the woods to chop extra, extra to make sure he can build a shelter around his fire. And now he's got to go to the woods to build extra, extra, extra wood so that he can have a backup plan in case his tent goes down. And so he leaves at 6 a.m. and he gets back around 6 p.m. just enough to go to bed and wake up the next morning and have all of these worries and these fears come back all over again. And I think in a lot of ways, we as human beings are like this boy, right? We have all of these scenarios in our head of going, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And we think that all of a sudden now we got to work our tail off to make sure that that doesn't happen. You see, fear is a powerful thing. It is a very powerful thing. We have fear of the unknown. What happens XYZ. We have fear of surprises. What do we do when our car, the one lifeline we have to get into our job, pukes and we have no money, 
to buy replacement parts? What happens if we can't provide for our family? What happens if I lose my job? What happens if people might start to hate me for going against the grain? What happens if I fail? What happens if I, if I pass away unexpectedly? What are my kids going to do? What happens if? Fear is a powerful, powerful thing because fear fixes our attention on the problem rather than on the solution. It makes us fix all of our attention, all of our, all of our energy, all of our time going, if this happens, I am sunk. I am absolutely toast it, because it paralyzes us. Fear can look like worrying about all the stuff. It can make us question. It can make us doubt. It can make us go through all of these different hoops just to try and survive and keep our head above water. And here's what I've found out. You can only tread water for so long. If you're always trying to keep your head above water and you're always worrying, you're always spinning yourself in circles, you're always trying to avoid the fear, it's only a matter of time before you can't tread water anymore. And fear is a powerful thing, but it doesn't need to be a powerful thing. In Daniel chapter 3, we see that there are these three guys. Okay, I need everyone to say these names with me because they are insanely weird and insanely just goofy names. So everyone say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not Abednego, it's Abednego. Abednego, okay. There's a VeggieTales song that goes with this. If you, if you want to figure it out. It's awesome. So there's these three guys. They are the, they are the best, most fit Jews in the land, all right? They are just the beast. They're just, they're quality guys. They're really handsome. They smell decent. They're good guys. They look nothing like me. They are just these awesome guys, all right? And what happens is this king, Nebuchadnezzar, another awesome name, he comes into their land takes over their land and says, all right, I'm going to take the best three guys out of this land, train them up into our culture so that they can fight in our army, they can be a part of our world, and we can make them us, all right? So all of this happens, they bring him in, and all of a sudden, he starts to freak out. He's like, what happens if they lead an up? What happens if they like, you know, all of a sudden just say, you know what, we're going to rise up against you and they're going to knock you out. Like he has all these fears that are going on in his head. And so he goes, like any power hungry king would do, he goes, I'm going to make them worship me. I'm going to make them submit to me. So he builds up these huge gold statues of himself. And he's like, when I blow the trumpet, when I make all this noise. I need everybody in the entire land to bow down to the statue as a way of saying, you are our king. We trust you. We bow down to you. Kind of psycho, okay? He's, he's psycho. Being the studs that they are, being the studs that love God, that, that, that are trying to honor him, they're going, yeah, that's not going to happen because God says that we should bow down to nobody except for him. And so that's what they do. And then all of a sudden you have these little kiss-ups, okay? They go, hey, king, hey, king, these three guys, they're not bowing down to you. Can we sit in your kingdom now? You know, like, these are just like the guys that you hate on the playground, all right? Because they go and tattle on all your kids, and then the principal calls you, and then you have to have a sit-down with your kids, and then 
they cry, and it's, it's just an unpleasant experience. All because somebody tattled. All right, so we have the tattlers tattling on the, on the three awesome guys. And he calls them, and he goes, all right, we're going to get to the bottom of this right now. And so picking up in verse 14 of Daniel chapter 3, the king says, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. He's giving them a second chance. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? All right then. Kind of aggressive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See, fear is a dictator's greatest weapon. Because fear takes away your power. Fear takes away your self-authority. Fear takes away your submission. Because when you fear somebody, you are now bowing down to that. But when you don't have fear, you can stand confidently in who you are. And it works for everybody else, but why did fear have no place for these three? I think there's a very key part in that that we really need to hone in on. It's that it, I love what they say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love how he says they are able to and he will. It's not just he can do it, it's that he will do it. Here's the thing about these three. They were assured. They were 100% sold out, assured that God is who he says he was and he will do what he says he would. They knew they served a loving God who had their back in all circumstances. They knew they served a God who could deliver them and wants to deliver them. They knew that they had a God who was the God of the impossible. They had a God who, who was bigger than their problem. They had a God who was able, that was willing, that was capable, and that just plain out wanted to do it because he had all the power. God was there and they were confident, they were assured, even to the point of facing their imminent death. Fear had no place, not even a inkling. But here is what I love more than anything that is so easy to miss. Here is what just, it just blows my mind. They had so much assurance, so much confidence that they say in verse 18, but even if God does not deliver us from the furnace, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if God doesn't come through the way I need him to right now, he's still good. How crazy assuring is that? How 
unbelievable countercultural is that to have that? Because here's the crazy thing. We live in a world that is increasingly more shaky. Increasingly more shaky. I mean, the, the fact that a five-year-old girl is taken and sold as a sex slave is absolutely mind-boggling. Like, our world is decaying. It, it is going through all this crazy stuff. And I'm not going to lie, it's scary. It's really scary, all right? I kind of want to just build this huge bubble for my son Ellis, push him down the street, and never leave him. It's scary out there. And it makes me not even question why the fact that one in five people in America today struggle with anxiety disorders. 40 million people on a Medical News Today article said that one in five, 40 million people across the country struggle with major anxiety disorders. And millennials are the most anxious generation they have ever seen. My generation. Why? Because the world's messed up, y'all. It's scary. It's messed up. And it makes you just fear everything. I mean, even when I was talking about the different things we fear, you guys are going like, yeah, even right now, I'm scared that my son is going to go down this path that all of his friends are going. I'm scared that my daughter is going to have low self-esteem or low self-worth. I'm scared that my wife is going to, you know, realize that if I can't get over this thing that I'm bound to, she's going to leave me. All these fears are constantly and incessantly rolling through our heads. And I think that the enemy loves to use fear more than anything. Because he can always find something to make us fearful. Always. For those who have a mind like mine, just about the time you get over this worry, all of a sudden this worry shows up. Uh, when you get done with this one, it's this one. And I love, I think he's just up there going, yeah, you haven't thought about this. Well, God can deliver you from that, but that's so minor. Why would he, why would he waste his time with you on that? You know, or like maybe it's on the opposite of the spectrum of going, it's so big, it's so impossible that God would never do that for you. You don't deserve that. Fear takes away our power. And everything around us in this world threatens our security. Gives us less reason to be hopeful. You're not going to walk out these doors and go, man, yeah, I'm feeling this world, it'll turn itself around. It'll give me more security. No, it's going to be the opposite. And I think here's the crazy part. Even as Christians, the people in the world who should have the most hope and the most assurance and the most confidence, sometimes we have the least. And I know that because I have the least. This message is not a message I just studied and made. It's a message that was birthed out of my heart because the last month and a half was really tough for your pastor right here. It was one thing after another. It was all of a sudden, we just bought a house, so guess what? We have no money. It's all of a sudden, now we need to buy a lawnmower because we don't have a lawnmower and we can't mow our grass. I'm pretty sure if Ellis walked around back out in the backyard, he would get lost because our grass is so long. Yeah, can't walk. Exactly. Be like a safari out in the backyard. All of a sudden, our, our car that my wife and I both needed to use our cars on a daily basis to go everywhere. One of the cars is burning oil, and it's only a matter of time that the engine might explode. And not only on top of that, but then both of our cars need new tires. And guess what? New tires are not very expensive, or not very cheap. And all of a sudden, that's going on. And then now, stuff in our house, this is small stuff, is breaking down. And then, 
you know, just a bunch of different family things that are, that are maybe coming up or arising or are, are scary and all this different stuff is I literally remember waking up multiple days going, when was the last time I woke up and didn't immediately want to go back to bed? Because all of this stuff, you in the, you in the room know it, that when you are that worried, when you are that consumed with fear, when you are that overwhelmed, it is exhausting. Because you have to pep talk yourself every single second of the day. Like, I got to keep going. One foot in front of the other. I got to keep going. This might work. And after a while, you're starting to question, is this even going to work? Can I go on? I don't want to go on. I'm done. You get tired. You get scared. You get fearful. And what's worse is when you are a believer in Jesus and you have all these feelings, you feel even worse. Because you're going, I should be trusting, but I don't feel you right now, God. I should know that you have this, but it really doesn't feel like you have it. Where are you? And all of a sudden now it's like, sorry, God, I know you're, please don't kill me, okay? Like, you have all of these things of like, I know I shouldn't be feeling this way, but I do. And here's the thing that I want to encourage all of you with, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were countercultural. They had so much trust and faith in God because their trust in him was not based on action. It was based on identity. Their, their trust in God was not contingent upon the fact that he was going to come in and help. It was a matter that he is who he says he is. When we can take God out of the box of going, God, I will trust you if you can show up in this way. If, if, if I will trust you if you can just get me out of this situation. If we can get out of that action mindset and just trust who he is, it'll completely change who we are. Because here's the thing I had to learn the hard way. Peace is not a place. Peace is not getting through it. Peace is not a destination. Peace is purely being in the presence of Jesus and letting everything else go fall to the wayside. I've been in some beautiful places. I've been on some beautiful beaches. I've been on these vacations. And yes, it's relaxing. But I've been more at peace in the midst of all of that junk when I can just get alone with Jesus and just spend some time with him for a little bit. Why? That makes no sense. Because when you get into the presence of Jesus, you understand that God does love you. He does care about you. He does see you. He does not look at you with disdain. He does not care what you did. He does not want to leave you by the wayside. He does not fail. He is not confined to the levels of this world. He is who he says he is, and he will be there for you. He will care for you, and he will carry you through. Why? Because you deserved it? No, because that's who he is. It's his identity. It's who he is. And the problem is, we see him as this very fluid being. As God, we use stuff as like, yeah, God came into the situation and made it better. Or like, I'm really hoping he comes and helps me with this. Or I'm really hoping that I can be a better person so that God doesn't leave me. And we see him as this very fluid being. I think we need to change our perspective because he's concrete. He's always there. One minor thing that just drives me nuts when I hear is like, we're just, we're just, we're just going to hope God shows up. We're just going to hope that he comes into this place. And it's like, he's here. He's already here. Like, maybe let's pray instead of God come into this place. God, make me aware of wh- who you are. He's already here. We don't have to pray for him to come into the situation. He's already here. I think we don't understand that. 
Because here's what fear does. Fear isolates you. It makes you feel like I'm out in this by myself and I'm begging God to come into the situation with me. And as you're begging, it's like he's not there, but he's right here. You're not isolated. You're not alone. He's right there. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that. They knew he was unchanging. They knew he was concrete. They knew that even if it didn't happen, somehow it would be for his glory because they were based on his identity and not his action. They were assured. If you read on to Daniel chapter 3, understandably the king's a little upset by what they said to him. So the king, I love what it says, the Bible's awesome, all right? The, the Bible literally says, like, his entire face contorted in anger, okay? And I can just see, like, all these parents just like, you know what I'm talking about, okay? When, you, when your son or daughter comes home or whatever, and it's like, they do something that just absolutely floors you, you're like, like, you, you, like, the emotion, like, takes over your face, all right? And I'll tell you one thing. In that moment, your son or daughter just peed his pants, okay? Like, when they see mom or dad's face change like that, they know they better start running because if not, you're going to chase them down, okay? The Bible says it, he becomes so furious, his entire countenance changes. And here's what he, he says. All right, you're going in the furnace, but... Servants make it seven times hotter than it is right now. It becomes so hot that when they open up the door to throw him in there, the people die. Like, gee, great servant, right? Great king, all right? Go down, throw some wood on the fire, but make sure you save far enough away because if not, you'll incinerate on impact. Thanks for the heads up. They tie the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego up, throw them in the furnace, King kind of goes, all right, done with them. And then we pick up in verse 24. Daniel chapter 3, verse 24. Suddenly, the king Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the, sur- into the furnace? I can imagine servants going, yeah, dummy. Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Here is what I don't want to do. We do an injustice to this story when we see it as a fairy tale. This is history. This really happened. This was not just some cool Bible story. This is a literal furnace, a literal three people that were thrown into a furnace. And four people were in the furnace. 
God is willing to step into the fire of your life and untie you, but you've got to let him do it. You've got to say, God, I trust you to do that. I expect you to do it. And even if you don't, you are still good, God. You are still good. And in that moment, I will promise you, when you get to that point of surrender, something begins to change. Because yes, I, I can imagine that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were expecting God to come through, but I don't think they found peace knowing that they would get rescued. I think they found peace knowing they were in the best hands possible. I know you guys are going to walk out into that parking lot. You are going to go home. You are going to go into your job on Tuesday or even tomorrow. And all of a sudden, these same fears, these same insecurities, these same doubts are going to come at you like a flood. And I know that God can, and I know that he probably will change those things. But we need to get to a place, church, where we can go, even if you don't, God, you are still good, and I will still worship you. Because that trust and that assurance is not a destination. It's, it's, it's in who Jesus is. And here's the part I don't want us to miss. In the very last part, after they stand for God, after God comes into the situation, after he takes them out of the fire, all of a sudden this king now, who was all about people bowing down to him, who had no faith in God, all of a sudden now he's going praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. When you are countercultural, it's contagious. Your employees, your family know what you're going through. They know the storm that you're in. So when you can stand in the midst of the storm, when you can stand there with peace, you can stand there worshiping to God, knowing that he's going to take care of it, they're going to wonder, why do you have so much peace? Why do you still believe? Why do you have this much trust? And it becomes contagious. Because the world we live in is decaying. It is awful. And so when you see hope, it's like a light in the darkness. When you take a stand for God, people will flock. There's a fairy tale of a boy in in the woods. He chops and chops and chops and chops and chops and chops and chops. and gets so wound around the axle that he has to chop wood from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. And finally, after that second week when his dad gets there, he finds his son weeping on the ground, going, Dad, why did you make me go through this, Dad? Why? Why? I, I don't want to become a man if it is this, Dad. Why did you put me out here all alone with not enough wood? Dad, why? I am tired. I'm exhausted. I'm scared out of my life. I don't know how I can make it, Dad. I'm really scared, Dad. I don't want to do this anymore, Dad. Why did you do this to me? And his dad gets down to his level and looks him in the eyes and goes, Son, I gave you the exact amount of wood you needed. All you had to do was just trust that I was giving you enough wood and you could have sat here all day long and you would have been fine. If you had just trusted that I gave you the right amount of wood, you wouldn't have had to lift it a finger and you would have been just fine. But because we get so wound up, we get so worried, we begin to have all these questions and what ifs and we work ourselves tired. And God's up there the whole time going, I've got you. I've got you in my hand. And that was what happened in our life. God started to do some crazy things, y'all. 
he did crazy things. I was ready to quit. I was ready to be done. I was like, this is just too much. I can't go on like this. And all of a sudden, stuff started to happen. It was like all of a sudden, uh, some amazing people in this church, even one of them was like, hey, we have an extra more. We'll give you this more because we want to be a blessing to you. Another guy comes up to me and goes, hey, I won a $500 Visa gift card and we just feel like you are supposed to have that. My wife gets a second job and he has all this money that comes in. It's like, what is happening? And in that moment, God's like, Derek, I had you the whole time. If you only would have trusted, you could have saved yourself a whole month of worry and stress and wanting to quit if you would have just trusted. And I love Jesus so much because there comes a point when you understand that there is nothing about me that's special. There is nothing about who I am. There is nothing. It's not that I'm good enough. It's not that I'm a pastor, so God's blessing me. It's the fact that he is who he is. He created me with a purpose. He created you with a purpose. He created all of us with a purpose. And he has divine appointments that you, that you, that me are supposed to connect people to Jesus and he's going to bless us so that we can bless them. That's how it works. For those with kids in the room, would you ever not have your kids back? Would you ever just not be there for them if they needed you? Would you ever just not help them if they needed help? Would you not? I know I would give everything for my son. Everything. And if me as a flawed human being has that same heart, why would God not have that heart for us? I'm here to encourage you today. I I know you're going to walk out of this place with fears. I know you're going to walk out of this place going into the same stuff you walked in with, but here's what I want you to do. You can walk out differently because you have a different mindset. Fear will focus your, your, fear fixes your attention on the problem. Faith fixes your attention on the solution. God is your solution. I pray and I hope that God comes through in the miracle that you need. But I think the bigger, the bigger miracle is that you can walk out of this place knowing the waves are crashing around me, but I'm all good. God's got me right where he is. So if you could bow your heads with me all around this place. I know there are people in this room who even as I'm talking right now, the fear and the weight of what they are carrying still is heavy on their shoulders. And they're at a crossroads knowing I have two choices I have a choice of walking out of this place with the same stuff and with the same junk. And even though I don't want to, I know I just I, I know who I am and I know I'm not going to be able to shake it. And you're at that crossroads of going, I need to take a step of faith. I need to step out. I need to do everything I can, but I don't know if I can. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to. You got to let the Holy Spirit give you the strength to make that, that, that jump, that step. So God, there are people in this room, there are people who are going to walk out of this place. I pray, God, that you would give them the faith. I pray that you would give them the assurance that Meshach, Abednego, and God, they, just, they all had assurance in you. I pray, God, that these, the people in here would have the same assurance. They would have that same faith, God. I pray, God, 
that you would come through. I do pray for the miracle. I do pray that there would be a solution to everything that's going on in their lives. And I pray that that would happen, God. But even more importantly, I pray that we could walk out of here knowing that our trust in you is based in identity and not in action. So just between you and God, nobody's looking around. If you need that, if you need to have that trust, if you need to have that, 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 that faith, that maybe if you are just in this place and you've never had that relationship with Jesus, if you've never had that opportunity, if you never even know what it means to trust in Jesus, if you need extra faith, if you need extra trust, if you need a relationship with Jesus, I just need you to just raise your hand between you and God. Nobody is looking around. Nobody needs it, God. I just pray that for every hand that's raised in this room, for every soul, for every heart, God, that's walking through stuff, I pray that you would bring hope. I pray that you would bring passion. I pray that you would bring faith. I pray that you would just bring your presence into the world, God. Lord, you're already here. You're already right next to everybody in this room. I just pray that we would be open and aware of how close you are, God. Let us walk out of this place with our head held high, knowing that you've got us right where you need us, God. I pray for the miracle. I pray for the presence, and I pray for all of us in here. Do what you want to do, God. It's your end that we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.